I think this may have started on Tumblr, but now that I'm not on Tumblr, I only see it on Facebook, and it's all of these blogs with F word in the title, right? Yeah. Like, what's the point? F yeah, hot actress or yeah. whatever. Yeah, like the yeah. one I see on Facebook all the time is, I effing love science. Yeah. And it's like, first of all, do you really effing love? Like, right. I feel like if you really effing love science, you wouldn't be reading that blog. Exactly. Right? <laughs> You'd be reading something else. But it's also kind of like, what's the point? Like, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Speaking of science, kind of, um, we're going to be talking today about the Fermi paradox. We talked about it last time a little bit. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you read it in the meantime. If not, now's your chance. Read it now. Pause yeah, us. Pause. Go read it. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but I should say this is everything is interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. And we're going to be talking about the Fermi Paradox. Um, we're obviously not scientists. We're not extremely smart people either. No. Nope. But it was something that we both read that we thought was really interesting. So we're going to figure it out. So who better out. to listen to the non-scientists, <laughs> right. self-proclaimed not smart people, right. <laughs> talk about a very complex and scientific theory. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, and after that, we're going to talk about something that I just saw today. I think it has only begun, I think it's only gotten popular in the past couple of days, but I just noticed it today when somebody posted like a rebuttal article. Me too, yeah. Yeah, but it's about the um, girl who took a selfie at Auschwitz. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit, and then we will finish um, by discussing last show's recommendation of Moon Hooch, and uh, Keith will recommend something, and that'll be that. The end. The end. Uh, so we'll, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with the Fermi Paradox. A, a few weeks ago... You, I think you linked me to the article, right? Or I saw somebody posted the article on Twitter and I didn't really pay much attention to it, but then you had read it yeah, and told me to read it. Yeah. So I did. Uh, the article is called The Fermi Paradox and it's from a website called Wait But Why. And they've done a really good job of taking this complex, almost, I guess like theoretical idea, right? Theoretical, some some yeah. of it's science, but a lot of it's theoretical because we just don't know. And they've done a really good job of uh, putting it in common language. Right. So really, I mean, I wonder if we are dealing with the Fermi paradox as much as we're dealing with Wait But Why's article on the Fermi paradox. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've read a, I read a couple of things outside of it. And this actually seemed to be the most comprehensive. So, of so, so did I. I and I, I do agree. I mean, barring, you know, from being actually in the wherever scientists gather to discuss this, the smoking room, yeah. the <laughs> basement of some right. buddy's parents' house. I don't know where <laughs> they gather to discuss stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. Barring being there in the inner sanctum of, of scientific discussion. I, I think it's it's pretty solid from what I've seen. Yeah, so the Fermi paradox. So so we took that. So I took that information from the website, 
and made kind of a rough uh, outline or, or condensation of it. And we're going to sort of run through it and try and figure it out and talk about the points. Uh, but it, it is kind of something that's, I think if you're, if you're built a certain way, it can be really, maybe not depressing, but like, uh, it can really cause anxiety. I feel like, like I feel like if you really start thinking about this stuff, I think my wife could, that way. it could really freak you out. Yeah, yeah. I get, I can, I can be that way. But anyways, uh, so the Fermi paradox comes from Enrico Fermi, who's a scientist who worked on the Manhattan Projects, probably most notably. And, just as a side note, in the comic book that we talked about, The Manhattan Projects, he's in that, and he's an alien, alien. in that, which, yes. you know, up until now, had made no sense to me whatsoever. It felt, if anything, just like a, let's just make this guy an alien to be weird, but now it makes a lot of sense. There you go. Um, so, the basic idea of the Fermi Paradox is a very conservative estimate uh, gives us a few numbers. Those numbers are within our own galaxy, with, within the Milky Way, there are 1 billion Earth-like planets. Of those planets, 100,000 of them have a potential to uh, host intelligent civilizations. So 100,000 have the potential to be basically a second Earth. And we have a program called SETI, which stands for the Search for Extra- Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And their whole purpose is to listen and search for radio waves, basically any kind of transmission traveling through space that may indicate another life form or another form of communication from another intelligent life form. Right. Now, the problem is SETI and all of their time listening has not listened to anything. And if... If there are conservatively 100,000 other planets just in our galaxy alone, why have we not heard anything, right? That's the kind of the basic, that's that's the paradox. Right. Where is everyone? Are we alone? Why are we alone? Is, is where the paradox comes in. So one thing that follows that is when you look at the, the age of our sun, our sun compared to our galaxy is relatively young, which means the Earth is also relatively relatively young um, compared to the rest to the rest of the galaxy. So if you take uh, a planet that is roughly twice the age of the Earth, so eight billion years, or a little bit less than than twice the age of the of the Earth, um, that means that the Earth is like four like four over four and a half billion years old. So if you look at a, a Earth-like planet that's eight billion years old, right? That means that that planet has three, potentially three billion more years of technological advancement than we have. Right. Right. And we've only been around for 500,000 years, I think is what the estimate was. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of time for a lot of advancement, uh, which just speaks more to the question of, why are we not hearing anything? Um, so uh, something has been called something has been created called the Kardashev scale, and the Kardashev the Kardashev scale is is used to measure the uh, the the advancement of your resource usage, right? So type one on the scale means that your planet uses 
all of the available resources available on your planet for energy. We're not there yet. We're not there yet, right. Carl Sagan said that at best we are a 0.7 on that scale. Right. So I'm sure that's gone up at least a little bit since Carl Sagan's time. Mm -hmm. But regardless, we're not there yet. I mean, maybe if we're being generous, we are there now. But I really doubt that given that's only been probably, what, 30 or 40 years since... Carl yeah, said and, and if you look at energy, you know, energy is still a really hot button topic, just globally even. Right. Um, and uh, I don't think that we represent a species that is maximizing the energy usage and resource usage of their right. host planet. We're not, we're not able to use what we've got here to project us yet outside of our planet. We're still kind of inward focus right so type 2 uses all of the energy on the planet and all of the host stars energy so all of so if we were type 2 we'd be using all of earth's resources potential resources and we'd be using all of the suns as well type 3 uses you know all of that and 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 then to go and then then some it uses all of the galaxy's potential resources so the idea is that a type three civilization would be able to control interstellar travel, light speed, all that stuff. Um, and and they and and the, a, a point has been made to to point out that you know it may seem like extreme science fiction to sort of hypothesize using all of the energy in your galaxy, but but again. If there is a planet that is, let's say, conservatively less than or a little bit less than twice the age of Earth, like I said, that's three and a half billion years <laughs> more time than we've had. Right. And in, you know, in what, 500,000 years, we've gotten to almost a level one. Right. So that's a very rough estimate of, you know, like a one and a half million years to be a type three. If it, you know, it's just a simple equation of 500,000 mm-hmm. times three. Can you imagine the Xboxes they're, they're playing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> you just think it, think your right. own game into being right. So all of that is the setup, right? So that's, the, that's, the, that's the paradox. Where's everyone at? Here are all of our figures saying there should be, Someone should be out there, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? Um, you know, we we have all these figures saying, e- even if you take, even if if you take one percent of, um, of of the civilizations of the uh, life, like of the intelligent life civilizations in our galaxy, just one percent of of a conservative estimate, there should be at least one thousand type three civilizations in our galaxy alone that's just our galaxy and and let me point out that this is one reason why i love this paradox in particular in the way that wait but why articulated it is that this plays on the conservative estimates you know down the line like this is making you know logical leaps Mm -hmm. but they're leaps to the most conservative understanding of these things right so if you think about that 1,000 other, you know, type 3 civilizations or type 3 in our galaxy, that potential, again, we're just talking about potential. Yeah. I mean, that's that's mind-boggling, yeah. you know? But but for me, 
and what I'm excited to talk about is this next part, which right. I'll let you get into now. Because up until now, like this is all math and kind of theory, yeah. and it's interesting. But I, then I love the speculative right. nature exactly. of, of yeah. the paradox. And it, and, yeah, and and and, I, and with that being said too, this is just our galaxy alone. So if you take the conservative numbers to the universe, you know, out including everything ever, um, the number is I think it was something like. 100 billion billion <laughs> like the number is so big that there's not a word for it right like i typed into google 100 billion times 100 billion and it was just like one e to the 40 something and right was like, okay well i guess 100 you billion billion google. is easier to understand you should have asked siri yeah see what siri says yeah so so yeah so that's all the speculation that's all sort of the number the build-up so scientists and I guess um, theologians have agreed on two possible explanations, or at least I guess I should say two categories for the explanations. Right. Right? It may be philosophers, although philosophers. I think it's, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned theologians. I'd like to get there. Well, yeah, Go we'll on. talk to that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah. yeah, philosophers, I should have said. So there's two categories of explanations. The first one is called the great filter and we'll talk about that first the second one is more of the second one was more of kind of just like a catch-all for everything else right but the first one is called the great filter and the idea of the great filter is that there are we're not getting communication from any other higher civilizations because there aren't any and there aren't any because there is a filter in in the in the lifespan of a planet or, a, or of a planet, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a filter that stops life at, at some point, right? And so there's three possible places for this filter if we're looking at um, Earth's lifespan. So we look at the origin of life all the way to, what did I say, four and a half billion years later where we're at currently. So there's there's three possible uh, placements for the filter. The filter can be behind us. So it could be either, uh, you know, the the just the origin of life itself could be the filter, whereas, um, you know, we're looking at Mars, we're looking at different planets, and we're not finding anything, no signs of life. Period. So just the fact that that life exists at all could be the filter, right? Uh, the filter could also be a lot of people think the filter could be the transformation from simple to complex cells, which I honestly don't know what that means. I just know that I can paraphrase it by saying simple to complex cells, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think I, I think that's talking about the very origin of, of life on Earth when you go from that single cell to the multi cell. To, right? to, yeah, as soon as that splits, right? Right, that, that's right. That is an amazing leap that you know we can arbitrarily look and be like okay right you know and the cell divided right so that's basically the same thing as origin of life right and that's why a lot of people are saying if we were to find even a single celled organism on mars it would not be good news for the great filter right because that means that uh, life can exist elsewhere and the great it filter has. <laughs> it has and the great filter is probably not behind us right 
So the great filter can be behind us, like I said, the origin of life. It can be, uh, it can be like relatively close to where we are now, right? And it just means that we're first through the filter. Either we're first or we're like neck and neck with another civilization that also has not discovered, uh, you know, interstellar communication or travel right. or whatever. And it's we're more or less not competing, but we're just traveling parallel paths, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the filter could be sort of the worst case scenario is the filter could be ahead of us. We could have not hit that filter yet. And um, if it is ahead of us, it's going to be ahead of us somewhere in between uh, on the on the uh, Kardashev scale. It's going to be somewhere in between type one and type two, right? Because it's it's going to have to cut off life before it finds a way to leave to our leave its planet, planet and communicate and send out radio waves or whatever they're sending out. Right. Um, and that's kind of. Uh, like a doomsdayer's way of looking at it. Like that one's, right. that one's not good. <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, oh, okay, well I'll let you finish, finish the, the, the setup. Cause I have, uh, I have some questions. Well, that's pretty much the setup. Yeah. I was going to say that for me, it, for me, I think as, as, as fun as it is to talk about all this stuff and as crazy and sort of science fiction-y as you can get with all this stuff, I really think the, most logical explanation is the most boring one, which is that the great filter is probably life itself, right? Kind mm-hmm. of boring. It's kind of like it, but at the same time, it's the, I think it makes the most sense for the reason why we haven't heard anything. We haven't found even a single cell anywhere else. You know what I mean? Even on a planet like Mars, which, you know, theoretically should be able to support life. And to me, that's the most depressing one because you look at our culture today and we're going to be talking about a person yeah. birthed from our culture. <laughs> yeah. And Who that made it through the great filter. And that person would is is like a god to any other life form that's out true. there, you know, who just wants to split into two cells and it just can't <laughs> It just can't do it. It just wants to be even one cell. Yeah, it yeah. just wants to even be in existence. Yeah, and so I find that, and and then also what what I find too is just like <clears throat> any option that we talk about the mathematical probabilities of any of these from the most likely to the least likely, it almost is a level playing field, which is what I love too about this. Yeah. And I hope that we do have time to get into the more bizarre mm-hmm. responses or solutions people have come up for this. Because I feel like this is a place where those live right next to the smartest, you know, Stephen Hawking being right. like, you know, this is what I think. Right. Then some nut could just come up and be like, it's all a computer simulation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, he has <laughs> just as good standing right, as Stephen exactly. Hawking yeah. like when it comes to this. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing that I wanted to um, to bring up um, concerning this was first with this idea of you know the gray filter being ahead of us. I mean, isn't that already the case? I read another post on wait, but why we're talking about like our sun is set to 
expand in like a hundred thousand years or whatever. So I mean, to me, that seems most likely that. Well, but you know, in a hundred thousand years, we could have potentially developed into a type two to type three civilization. You know, especially with the way technology moves, it's not like, you know, it took us however many years to get from fire to a computer. <laughs> But then to get from a computer that fills an entire room to one that Space I travel literally to... have in my pocket right now is right. like 50 years. But I mean, don't you feel like there's a great filter on technology? Is that a sense that... that... I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really do. I feel like it's it's amazing our our advances and our progression. But in a lot of real ways, you look at our way of life and you think like we can't resolve these issues or yeah. or or i mean even if you want to look at global issues of poverty yeah or you know just clean water for every person on our earth like we can't do that you know or like global warming you know people are doomsdayers about global warming and i'm like well if technology is advancing so quickly isn't there any way that technology can account or address our issues of global warming? Yeah. You know, I feel like there's a great filter that maybe people are ignoring in pursuit of their own goals and ideals, whether it is somebody who has this great belief in technology as being like, you know, we'll have nanobots in our bodies and that they'll fight decay and therefore mm -hmm. we will extend lifespan by hundreds of years, you know, mm -hmm. or whether it's somebody who's saying no amount of technology can save us from the polar ice caps melting. Like th there's nothing we can do about that. I feel like both sides are ignoring the, the basic question of, so is there a great filter on our technology is there too much faith being put in technology to save us, you know, on the one side and therefore is the doomsday just going to happen? Like it could not be the sun burning out. It could be that technologically that's the great filter. No civilization can interstellar travel, mm -hmm. you know, no civilization because their technology becomes too much. Yeah. What you're saying. yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that to me, I'm a doomsdayer. Yeah. But I don't think I'm a doomsdayer because of a hundred thousand years our sun is going to expand, but that there's a limit on technology. It won't be able to extend our lives, you know, for mm -hmm. hundreds of years, like some of these futurists mm -hmm. are, are saying. Um, and I don't, I guess I'm more in the line of, yeah, if global warming really starts happening, which it is, mm -hmm. can't, is any technology going to save mm -hmm. us? So you think, you think there is a limit to how much our technology can advance? I think that there's or, a ceiling on our technology. Okay. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I think I would understand maybe the perspective of there's a, there's a filter on the level of how much our technology can advance and how we can continue to live with that techno te te technological advancement. So are you, know you, are I mean? you thinking of AI? Like, Yeah, basically. Okay. I feel like at a certain point, I may be a doomsdayer in the sense that I feel like at a certain point, we will create technology ultimately that could destroy us. <laughs> <laughs> that seems a little science fiction-y, but at the same time, like, 
I don't know. I mean, if you just want to look at it in a cultural sense, like, isn't that what we're already doing? Right? Well, yeah. And I mean, you look at medical be a advancements. curmudgeonly about it. Right. You, you look at medical advances and that's the big knock that you have against a lot of, uh, you know, the medicines that, that, that were getting in there is like, are we properly testing these? I'm not talking about vaccinations now. I'm just talking right. about, you know, the, the prescription drugs that we're pumping out. You know, that, that's, a, that's an interesting, you know, question there. Are we stopping to ask, you know, why do we need this enough? Mm-hmm. Or what are we fighting? That's the other thing that, that kind of ties in. And I guess this is what's interesting about the Fermi paradox for me is my brain goes a hundred different ways. Yeah. So I want to touch on this really quick. There's already something that I'm like biting my tongue about because sure. it doesn't really fit. But this does kind of fit. And it's with these people who look at a problem like death and they view it as a problem to be solved. Right. You know, and I look at death and I don't view it as a problem to be solved. I view it as a state of being. Your mm-hmm. being must end at some point. That is the nature of being, yeah. of existence. So are we trying to solve problems that, that don't need to be solved that could potentially then lead to our downfall mm-hmm. because we're in pursuit of something that is the great filter in and of itself. It's, it's like a hidden great filter. It's like, uh, what's a good, um, analogy. Um, what's the, what's the box that you, Pandora's box Pandora's. Yeah. It's like a hidden Pandora's box where it's like, it looks like a present you open it up and once you open it, You've unleashed it, you mm. know, and that's it. And that's, and, and so I could see that. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. But it's like, um, it's kind of like uh, the fountain, right? Hugh Jackman, like yeah. all he's trying to do is find a cure for death. Right. And then, um, you know, if you interpret. It turns the, into flowers. If you interpret the movie in a certain way, he's in a spaceship Spaceship. at the end that's like a bubble but it's like you know it's like they've reached a level of technology that's completely like people in our time would look at and have like no idea what they're looking at right you know what i mean which is one reason why why i love that i love that movie i I guess i guess the future is something that is inherently unfathomable or or you know i wonder how much uh predictive science can get about futurism because i feel like as inventions come up they dictate the future more than people you know forecasting it yeah like soon we will have computers that will be you know this small and that size and all of a sudden somebody else invents something completely crazy that sets us off on a different different track yeah i I wanted i wanted to talk too about um some of these I guess I wanted to hear your specific take down the line of some of these. So, um, what is the likelihood? I mean, I guess I would say, do you really truly believe that in all the existence of billions and billions of years that we are the sole intelligent life that has evolved out of the morass? Yeah. I mean, that's the question, right? That's the ultimate question. Are we the only ones? Right? Like, where is everyone? I do. It's the only thing that makes sense. 
Like, but, ev- but does it make sense? Yeah. I mean, I mean how, how does it mathematically because make sense? Because we haven't heard anything from anybody. It, may, it makes perfect, perfect mathematical sense because there is a very, if you're being conservative, there is still a very high probability that we should have heard something from something else. And we haven't. Like, that's it for me. Well, one, one thing that I thought was interesting in the article was where they talked about uh, civilizations or species that are content in their own that's true. existence. But, but for me, that, that, and, we'll, and we will talk about that a little bit later, or soon, because that is part of the other half of the explanations. But for me, it just is, it just is too, like, you know what I mean? It's too fanciful. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just is too, like... It's too much of a fantasy to me. All right, I'm. I'm. I'm Although interest- it does, I think it does make sense. But yeah. yeah, it just is. All right, so so I guess I'm interested to to finish up the second half, so we can talk more generally about this. Yeah. So I guess you know to wrap up the first explanation, if we had to pick a side, you would say the great filter is behind us. Right. I would <clears> say <throat> life itself is the great filter, uh, and I would say the great filter is ahead of us. I believe. If you had to push me, I'm going to blame technology. Uh-huh. I'm going to be a complete Luddite and say... Do you have a conservative estimate or a rough estimate or just maybe not even years, but like... Well, this this is where it does get interesting, where you think about, well, what are the effects of our technology already on us, right? Mm-hmm. You, you hear so many people crying against uh, our short attention spans and you know uh, our lack of true knowledge about any you know, particular subject, we, we've become jack of all trades and masters of none. Right. I find that that I find those largely not very compelling cases, but they're interesting. So I think, you know, we are, we've already given ourselves over to something we don't understand. You know, we've already said like in pursuit of technology, that pursuit is good. It's yeah. right. And no matter what comes out of it, if it's an iPhone if it's a new Xbox, if it's, uh, you know, Bluetooth headsets, if we can start implanting those headsets, if we can start, you know, it's like, yes, 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 yes. At some point, we're, I think we're going to want to pull back and by then it'll be too late. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I agree. I just don't see that being the... Being the great filter? Yeah, I just don't see that being the end. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> I see it well, so clearly we now. We will never find out. Because... Looking into my darkened iPhone screen, I can see the yeah. future. <laughs> All right, so that's so yeah, that's explanation one, the great filter, right? Explanation two, like I said, it's kind of a uh, a grab bag of all of the other theories out there that aren't the great filter. Uh, so explanation two is basically any logical, what could be conceived as a logical explanation for why we haven't been communicated with and now i i tried to there's a lot of them and i tried to weed out a lot i tried to save (laughs) basically the more sort of common sense ones uh and then the more uh out there ones we'll talk about at the end if we've got some time uh but the the first one is uh the basic idea is that uh there is another civilization out there and they visited before either humans themselves existed. You know, the basic idea is that humans have been around for uh, 50,000 years. 
So, well, so first of all, anytime I said 500,000 years earlier, I meant 50,000. <laughs> so, so humans have been around for 50,000 years. We've only been recording history for about 5,500 years. Um, so that leaves you with a gap of about 3,999,950,000 years that another f- intelligent form of life could have could have visited our planet right. and and nobody have would have been here. That, that that's the Prometheus Prometheus. Yeah, theory. basically. But Prometheus is also kind of saying like they came here and they and they were the beginning and of they life. populated right. us. Right. So there's that, which I I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, that's like I said, these are kind of the more standard ones, right? Mm-hmm. There's another one that says there's a type three civilization. Um, and they have the ability to travel to travel to travel interstellar. They have the ability to travel into space. Right? If if you have not edited out <laughs> your struggle to say that sentence, disproves I think your theory that we are the only intelligent life. We we cannot be. We can't even say sentences clearly. There's right. no way yeah. we are the height. Yeah. That was, that was, that was my great, that was my brain's great filter. (laughs) This is as far as you're getting tonight. (laughs) Um, so there's a type three civilization out there, right? They have the ability to travel to our planet. They have the ability to travel across the solar system, but because they have also harnessed the, all of the resources from their galaxy, they have that ability. They have no reason to do so. So they live on their planet happily. Which sounds good to me. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I well, we wouldn't do that. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. That, that's where you do kind of get into this idea of where did religion come from? Where did this evolution, this desire to seek, you know, and, and answer questions that you cannot find answers to. And I think we can largely say starting off, people turn to religion for those for those answers. Mm-hmm. Now we have what I would argue is a, is a false dichotomy of religion versus science. I think they do work far more in concert. And I think the Fermi paradox is a perfect example of how these two ideas can be bedfellows and can help and support each other versus being something that's at odds with, with one another, which is a, you know, a setup that I, I, blame as being relatively modern a modern construct of Mm -hmm. faith is over here religion is over here never the twain shall meet i I don't think you have to go back very far to see theologians who were scientists who were kind of leading the search for you know the answers to life because they firmly believe that the answer led back to theological realities which is why they were seeking these out Mm -hmm. and now you you don't see that or it's not celebrated that much or or people of faith are scared to engage these things because you start talking about billions of years you know and it Mm -hmm. freaks them out or whatever um but yeah this is where i I find that you know where did this desire to to seek things out come from and it would that be unique to us versus another species and and i don't know another species i can't fathom their existence but you know i can't imagine living i don't care how complete your world is and not looking up at your own sky and being like 
what's up there. Yeah, and a and a slight extension from that also is that the is the idea that they could also have sort of devolved, if that's how you want to say it, into their own technology so much that they're living in a virtual reality sort of like matrix esque world, right? So they have the ability to use all of the resources of their galaxy and they're viewing the world, the physical world as primitive. And so they live in an artificially created world like the matrix, basically something else that that I saw that was interesting. I forgot. I think it was in an article I was reading, but they were talking about intelligence being the great filter. Mm -hmm. And they're saying how, what made the evolutionary leap from instinct to intelligence. Mm -hmm. And they were arguing in the article that there are examples of intelligence devolving. So a species needed to learn how to manipulate their environment. Mm -hmm. Once they, once they found kind of, an, uh, another status quo of existence mm -hmm. that they actually got dumber, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and they actually stopped, stopped progressing. <clears throat> it was an evolutionary necessity yeah. that was then taken away from them. Hmm. So another idea that I thought was interesting is like, what if you have this type three that are just slowly getting dumber because they are now able to support their life and they are just devolving slowly back. Mm -hmm. They're losing their intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that's more of a fun thought experiment to see this like really s advanced civilization who's slowly forgetting how to use all their advancements or mm -hmm. whatever, and they're devolving. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe that's why they're like, screw it. I'm not going outside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another one is one that both Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan endorsed. Um, and, and the idea is that there are other civilizations out there, but they are choosing not to broadcast their whereabouts, basically. It's a little bit of a paranoid take on it. Um, but but uh, to, to speak to it, they've got Hawking. I've got a quote from Hawking and Sagan here. Hawking says, if aliens visit us, if aliens visit us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And Sagan says, um, Sagan, who believed that uh, if there was a civilization that was that had the ability to travel, he's the great. <laughs> the word travel. <laughs> Is your great it's not Traver? I keep saying Traver. <laughs> Traver. <laughs> if there was an uh, intelligent civiliza civilization out there that had the ability to travel, um, they would probably be like, they wouldn't be concerned with like taking us over or whatever. But he did say, the newest children in a strange and uncertain cosmos should listen quietly for a long time, patiently learning about the universe and comparing notes before shouting into an unknown jungle that we do not understand. And a lot of this is very relevant because there is also a lot of talk about instead of just listening and looking for broadcasters forms of communication of, um, of, of broadcasting ourselves, of putting something out there saying we're here, like talk to us basically. And a lot of people believe that could be a really bad idea. Um, and then the last one, and this is the one to me that is, 
outside of the origin of life being the great filter, this is the one that makes the most sense to me. Uh, the last one is the idea that the technology and communication is out there, but we don't have the technology to receive it or we're just, we don't know what we're looking for, right? And that makes, that kind of makes the most sense to me because just sort of like on a, on a one-to-one basis, like if we don't even know how to travel into space or into the outreaches of our galaxy, how are we going to know what to look for from people who are doing that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess we could have a broad idea, but at the same time, like we could just be like totally in the weeds, right? (laughs) Um, and there's a there's kind of an offshoot of that called the the zoo I think it's just called the zoo theory and that idea yeah. kind of plays off that except um, there are other civilizations out there and they're just observing us basically like right. watching us to see what we'll do which again I I just I default on the side of we're the only ones for whatever reason that's just what is what makes most sense because you lack imagination maybe <laughs> maybe. Um, so that's that's sort of the I would say that's that's probably the most prominent uh, group of of the second explanations for the paradox. Uh, but I want the, so so this raises for me this raises two questions. The first one is is something that we kind of talked about a little bit before with the at the end of the Great Filter talk where what does this mean for our for our culture like. There's definitely, uh, especially recently with the millennial generation, there's definitely a lot of like doomsday cultural speak going around, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're, Mm -hmm. like we're just losing it. Um, so how does this, how do you think this speaks to our culture? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, uh, interesting. You know, it's interesting too. We're, we're watching, a show we're doing a podcast on the leftovers on hbo together and there does seem to be a real push towards apocalyptic literature and ideas in our culture that seem to be you know hitting pretty hard right now uh in a way that you know maybe vampires and werewolves were a few years ago maybe the, the the next big thing um, you know, they're remaking Mad Max. They've got uh, The Leftovers on HBO and a number other of kind of, you know, narratives and stories that take on this apocalyptic idea all over the place. Uh, Falling Skies and uh, NBC has like, they, they, I feel like every year NBC is trying to launch a new show yeah. that takes on like revolution or, mm-hmm. okay, now no power is there mm-hmm. and whatever. So um, I think that there is a cultural moment. To me, the Fermi paradox is something that I don't see why more people are not talking about it and why it has not become more of of an interest, a cultural interest. And maybe this article is showing like a shift in that. Maybe this will start introducing this idea back into our culture. Because I feel like, this has some grounded realities that we can focus on while also being speculative mm-hmm. about well, what's out there and what's the nature of civilization and life. But I'm more interested too in like the practical real world implications of 
well, what does, what is, where are we headed with our technology? Mm-hmm. What are our goals with our advancements? You know, is the advancement to just make life better here in this, you know, country, in this house, you know, for these kind of people? Are we thinking globally? Are we trying to advance and think about how can we populate other planets or whatever? When you hear like NASA is basically getting cut for their budget to, you know, explore space. Right. There does seem to be this kind of shrug or like, uh, there's nothing out there. We would have known. Let's let's move on. Yeah. Move back into other uh, more important areas. I think that's kind of uh, short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think uh, it is fun to now think about all the different apocalyptic scenarios this introduces mm-hmm. more than what we've been used to which is like nuclear war right mm-hmm. 60s we create uh you know nuclear bombs we're all screwed mm-hmm. you know um or like leftovers this kind of rapture like spiritual event mm-hmm. uh, i like toying around with these ideas more mm-hmm. um about extraterrestrial life because mathematically that does have that promise of probability mm-hmm. more so than if we talk about like God, right? Mm-hmm. God is something that will never be proven. Mm-hmm. We can't do that and right. we can't quantify. Yeah. There's no know? numbers to crunch. There's no numbers to crunch. But if we say, Oh, well look at this, you know, chunk of the universe, mm-hmm. we know we have this many suns that we can see or whatever and project out. I think that that's, that that's really interesting. And it, and it, has a hook on it that you can kind of really mm-hmm. sink into. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading a lot about it. Yeah. It's it's also interesting how in the weeds people get really quickly out of talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think uh, for me, it does fit with my, I do feel like I'm, I'm of a culture that was obsessed with uh, doomsday. I remember mm-hmm. when we were kids, right? Every year there's a new pastor like, 1988 year Christ is mm-hmm. coming back. Everything's going to end. I had a guy who worked in my cafeteria when I was a kid. He bought a Cadillac mm-hmm. because he so believed one of these guys. He was like, live it up boys. He was like giving us an extra brownie and stuff mm-hmm. the day before this is going to mm-hmm. happen. And I just felt like <laughs> he was part of that culture. Like he yeah. did not seem, he was weird but he did not seem as out of place as I think he should have. Yeah. And I feel like now we're all coming of age and we're all expecting some big event to happen subconsciously. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. Well, I think it's just, I think it's human nature. I agree with all that, but, but I'm also thinking of like, if you look back in like the eighties and like, I don't have a, I was born in 1982, so I don't have a great recollection of the 80s. But like, you look at the movies that were coming out in the 80s, you know, like Escape from L.A. It's about the end of the world, basically. Mm. We're going to mention Ski Patrol. <laughs> yeah. But there's like all of those movies that came out then that are also like, you know, like Total Recall or, um, you know, just any of those sort of 80s action sci-fi movies that were like, the world has been destroyed or we've destroyed the world or we've moved on to colonize Mars Blade or Runner. Yeah. It's just as like, I think it's kind of human nature to, to, you know, there's always a battle of the culture moving in one way and, you know, half of the people in a culture moving in one way, or even like the young minority of a culture moving in one way and the older majority 
fighting against that, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're going to have that in any generation you have, whether it's millennials, you know, who are lazy, quote unquote, or if it's like yuppies who are killing the world with consumerism, right? Yeah, don't you feel like the there is this fascination with our own um destruction mm-hmm. as a species mm-hmm. i feel i feel like there is i feel like there is this um <clears throat> i heard it said really well and, and i do feel this i'm i'm scared of heights but i heard somebody say one time you know that they when they stand at a great height there's this pull this pull towards the abyss where they almost feel like Mm-hmm. They become overwhelmed with this idea that they want to jump. Mm-hmm. They want to give themselves over to that. Yeah. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And I've experienced it. My hands are swaying right now <laughs> thinking about it. But I've climbed to like a mountain, looked over, and been obsessed with this idea yeah. of hurling myself into it yeah. or jumping off of a building. Like, and I'm terrified of heights. Uh-huh. Why would I have that push and pull towards the thing that I'm terrified of? That would lead to my destruction, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I do wonder if that is a species trait, you know, yeah. that, that maybe the great filter is built into our genes, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like up to this point, no farther will you progress. Um, I also, um, thought about like, you know, this idea of the tower of Babel, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then I also, I guess this is how maybe I wanted to finish. I think you did a great job summarizing the Fermi paradox. Thank you. But you know, the, the last point that I maybe wanted to, to focus on, maybe before we get into the crazy theories, mm-hmm. is this theological aspect or idea mm-hmm. involved in all of this discussion. Right. Right. So what you have is you have a rejection of, of a very theological take on creationism and and all that stuff and i'm fine with that mm-hmm. right like the age of the earth no doubt billions mm-hmm. i'm fine with it but to sit there and not have room for a theological understanding in the midst of all this mystery mm-hmm. to me is sad it's sad and it shows a reflection of a mistrust of religion in other areas that are not related to the central core mystery Mm -hmm. of what is out there of what is behind everything you Mm -hmm. know and whether you want to say god or not god right Mm -hmm. would we be more comfortable saying there's a great filter that has limited your progression as a species but it's of a natural source versus yeah there's a god up there who's saying tower babel like this high and no higher and and you will be smoted Mm -hmm. smited yeah (laughs) you know if you try and progress that high yeah am i crazy to 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 see the opening there you know for that theological idea or, or to be interested in that no not at all i mean i think it's i think that's probably a natural way of thinking if you you know what i mean as a christian but the question that I have, and this was a this was actually a question that a uh, professor asked one of uh, one of my one of the classes that I was in at college. I can't remember what class it was now, um, but I'll adapt it roughly to the Fermi paradox. But in any of these more or less um, 
type uh, or or the second explanations Mm -hmm. and any of the explanations that involve a second, even a second civilization, if not multiple civilizations. You are a Christian and, you know, I'm speaking to you, but I'm, I'm speaking more to the theoretical you, right? You are a Christian. You believe in God. You believe Jesus is the son of man. How does that belief apply to a, a di- another civilization? How does that belief apply to a intelligent form of life that is not Earth? Well, they were clearly the mistakes. They were the ones that <laughs> you know God. What I mean, though, like, do you believe that the same s- story, for lack of a better word, is true for that planet? Do you think it's you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's there, as many, as many, I feel like as many possibilities, as many explanations as you can think of for the Fermi paradox, you can think of as just as many for sort of that question or that scenario. Yeah. Like how does it work? Right. And right. nobody knows, of course. Yeah. You're, and you're, you're theorizing on a theory. Exa- exactly. So. Exactly. We, we have, we are, we're once removed yeah. from our theorizing. Yeah. And, and I do think that that is, that's fun to engage in in like late night conversations. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, that you can have real world implications in just the sense of in thinking about the Fermi paradox, it can not help but expand your mind, yeah. right? It cannot help, and which is why I think some, sometimes it freaks people out because it causes you to think about things on a level that... Maybe you haven't before well, it's, or you're it's not comfortable. Un, doing. It's like the unknown, right? It's the ultimate unknown. It's not yes. like it's not like uh what's gonna happen to me if I eat this day old pizza unknown, right? right? Right. It's like a it's like a you know what I mean? It's like the ultimate unknown. Right. And, and that that's that's can be terrifying. And and I will I will try and go against what I said last time too to end this. I saw or, or saw somebody make an ar- argument of you know the the Fermi paradox might not leave room for God. It may actually help to close the door on God mm-hmm. in the sense of in the same way that extraterrestrial life has not revealed itself to us. Mm-hmm. So in the same sense, neither has this God mm-hmm. figure. That the the more silence we get in response to our universe, the the more that justifies your original view. We're it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like. We were the lucky ones. Um, we did this great filter jump or whatever, mm. or we're headed hurtling towards this great filter that we won't be able to control or understand. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the nature of it. Um, I'm fine if that's what you believe. To me, it, that lacks the imagination. I understand it's boring. I get it. It's it, it, it's boring. It's it, it to me. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and I'm not opposed to like, obviously I'm not opposed to talking about it, but I'm not opposed to people like, like searching for other signals to me. That is just what makes the most sense. Right. You know what I mean? It just is like, after reading all of it, that was the one to me that was just like, yeah, that seems the most right. Yeah. To me, I don't know. I go back to how young we are, you know, they're, they're, they're just, fathoms of things that we can't even imagine out there. Yeah. And I just don't imagine that we're it. I don't imagine that, you know, fluorescent light bulbs and cars that break down after 80,000 miles, Mm -hmm. you know, and a little illness 
or a parasite that kills you yeah. that people just shrug and go, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, that that's it. Like, yeah, yeah. that's it. You yeah. know, they're, they're just, you know, even looking at the math, I, I just, I'm overwhelmed by the possibility, not the, not, not, not the, the negative aspects of where is everybody. Yeah. It's more of like, wow, there could be, you know, yeah, it's exciting. something out there. It's definitely an exciting possibility. All right. So we'll, we'll close really quickly with, I wrote down uh, four of the, what I felt like were the most sort of out there explanations that people that I could sort of drudge up on the internet. I'm sure there's plenty more. Um, but the first one, and this is, to, this one to me is like, I just included it just to kind of say the second point. But the first one is the idea that the universe is like kind of like a hologram or like we just don't understand what we're looking at, stuff like that, and which whatever. But it's kind of like at some point you have to operate from a from a foundation that what you're seeing is true. Is real. If not, then anything's a possible. You know, that's a conversation I had a long time ago with some guy that just is like, you know, his his big point was like, why do we call an arm an arm, man? It could be called anything. It's kind of like, all right, that's fine. I get that it could be called anything. But we call it an it's arm. Still an arm. <laughs> and if we're not going to move forward from that same point, then there's no, you know, there's no point in having a conversation at all, right? Right. Uh, another one, uh, and this is definitely like probably the most paranoid theory out there. Uh, the the another one is an idea that there is a super predator that is patrolling our galaxy and the universe, and uh, I'll say a, a type three on the scale super predator who's patrolling the galaxy, the universe. And whenever it observes a civilization reach a certain, you know, maybe type halfway between type one, type two level, it exterminates that civilization. Right. And Hey, we don't know what happened to them. They may not be evil. Yeah. (laughs) They're just trying to protect themselves. Right. Population control. Right. Yeah. They're like, uh, what's his name? Ed Harris on the snow piercer. There you go. Right. He's a type three. Um, and another one is, uh, a play on the earlier one of the type three civilization living in their own artificial, uh, world. So the idea is that we are actually living in a computer simula- simulation and the simulation, the, the AI of the simulation hasn't created another mm. life form for us to communicate with. Right. I mean, I don't know what is getting excited about about what we're doing. <laughs> I follow world events. It's pretty depressing and boring. Yeah. Unless this AI loves Yeah. It's kind of like war. It's 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 maybe it's like maybe the scenario is like it's like someone who just started playing the Sims, right? And then they got bored with it, but the they never deleted their game or whatever, so it just keeps working in the background. Right. We could just be like Someone's forgotten, like I—I I didn't mean Sims. I meant like Sim City. We could be somebody's like forgotten Sim City game, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the last one—I saved this one for last because I think this is the best. And I don't know if you had a chance to read it. Yeah. Um. Oh, you did? Yeah. It's funny, right? Yes. So this author named Terry Bison or Bison wrote a short story called "They're Made Out of Meat." Meat. I read and that. And it, yeah. it's, it's short and it's really funny. Yeah. And the whole premise is just that. An alien civilization has discovers have discovered us, but once they find out we're completely made out of meat, you're <laughs> just like too grossed out <laughs> to do anything with us, and they move on. <laughs> um, so that's the Fermi paradox. 
Uh, we hope you enjoyed the conversation. If it made any sense, that's good. I, if, if it made any sense or if it didn't, I would absolutely recommend going to Wait But Why and reading their write-up on it mm-hmm. because it's a hundred times better. And it's, it's, it's just as... I think it's a great, like, you know, maybe not, like, small-talky thing, but, yeah. you know, if you're with a group of friends, close friends, it's just that I think it's a great thing to sort of... Knock around. Yeah. I uh, agree. Yeah. So we'll take a... We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back uh, with the girl who took a selfie at a concentration camp. <laughs> Today on Facebook, I saw a someone had posted a story, a, a link to a story on the Washington Post, I believe it was. And I can't remember what the headline was, but it was, you know, something along the lines of in defense of the girl who took who took a selfie at Auschwitz. So of course, I clicked on the link to see what everything see see what all the fuss was about. And uh, it turns out it was about a girl who took a selfie of herself at Auschwitz. And apparently it, it, the story had come out a few days ago on BuzzFeed and other uh, websites that was more or less condemning the girl and, uh, you know, drumming up all sorts of uh, Internet outrage that seems to be <laughs> commonplace for today. And the article was kind of, you know, similar uh, to the lines of uh, defending the the all the kids who were taking selfies at funerals that came out a few months ago. It was just sort of the same. I felt like kind of the same argument um, towards the end. It, the, there was some good stuff in it, but more or less, I, I thought uh, it would it would be something interesting for us to talk about. So well, and it it's kind of. This is why we even wanted to talk about social media in the first place. Exactly. Something like this is the reason why we're like, hey, let's cover social media for some reason. Because people take selfies at concentration camps. Mm -hmm. And that deserves to be discussed. Yeah. And to to just paint the picture a little bit more, this is a, a... a white teenage girl. I'm assuming teenage. I don't know how old she is, but she looks fairly young. Maybe like she's probably like 17 or 18, right? Uh, sure. White Maybe girl, younger, yeah. blonde hair. She's uh, taking a selfie at Auschwitz. She's got a huge smile on her face. Uh, you know, Couldn't gi- be happier. gigantic hoop Three. earrings, you know, pink, hot pink sweatsuit. Um, and she's got earbuds in, of course, right? <laughs> and her caption is... I'm sure is, she's listening to the historical recounting <laughs> yeah. as you walk through Auschwitz. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and her caption was something along the lines of... Uh, I didn't write it down. But her caption was something <laughs> along the lines of... Oh, her her uh, username is is listed as Princess Brianna... And her handle is at uh, Princess BMM. So 
you know, you have a decent idea of the girl, right? And uh, the caption to the picture is something along the lines of selfie at, oh, that's what it is. Selfie at Auschwitz concentration camp, blushy emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's pretty upsetting, right? On just taking that face value, it's pretty upsetting. And it's, um, it's, it's pretty poor taste, I would say, to be a kind, right? Right. Now, the further we get into the story, the girl, the, the girl talks about how she studied, uh, she used to study history with her father. And uh, her dad passed away a year ago to the day that she was taking the picture. And the last thing they were studying together was the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So this moment um, uh, uh, at Auschwitz is, was actually very significant for her. And that's why she took the picture. That's why she seems so happy because she's fulfilling a, a dream that she had uh, with her father, right? After her father's passed. That's, that's what she's saying. That is her defense. Um, so what do you make of it? Like, what's your initial take? Has has your has have you has your mind changed from your initial take at all? No, my <clears throat> I, I read. I actually started by reading the explanation article. Yeah, the Washington you know, Post article, right? right? Yeah, so did I. So I, that's where I started. So I actually missed the initial just backlash. I did of too. I really didn't look into <clears throat> it that much. Everybody's hatred and vitriol towards her. Um, having read that piece, though, there is no. Uh, defense Mm -hmm. for taking a selfie Mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting to even get into the idea of you know what the selfie represents and what it is and everything and 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 all that but i i actually i went to auschwitz i've been there oh really yeah um i remember being there and i was in high school at the time i remember you're all like (laughs) like walking up you see the gates of Auschwitz and you go like, okay, like I can't, I should, probably shouldn't even run in here, right. you know? And then I remember we got in there and, and then- And that's a significant point for someone who says that they were studying the history of Auschwitz before they went to it, right? Right. Like that's, that, that is her take. Oh gosh. Like she, if anybody, should be very uh, intimately knowledgeable of what has happened here. Look, the, the, the burning, the furnaces are still up. Right, like you know, the 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 buildings where people were were sent to be like are still standing. Yeah, it's not just like this is a field. You know, like you go see Gettysburg. Right, it's like it's a field. on this field, <laughs> thousands died. You right. know, and on that I could see somebody being like Gettysburg, <laughs> smiling, like you know, right. because you're not standing literally on the bones of people, or mm-hmm. it's not like see that house over there. Thousands of people were killed in that house. Right. So I remember being there and I remember two kids started chasing each other in there. And I remember feeling like that was sacrilegious. Like I remember being offended. These two kids were, were running, were chasing each other in this place. So having experienced those feelings to then think that I could go in there and for whatever reason, I'm a huge history buff. I love World War II. I learned a lot about, you know, Auschwitz. None of that says, smile, 
you know, like <laughs> there, there's no, that doesn't compute, okay. you know, right. absolutely right. does not. And I was around her same age when I was there Yeah. and there's no way that that would ever co- co- compute with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, let me, okay. Well, let me <laughs> ask you some questions then. Okay. Let's say that, let's say this picture was taken at, when you were at Auschwitz, right? Mm-hmm. Around the time you were at Auschwitz or any other teenager or person is 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 taking a picture there of yourself there is that inherently wrong is there anything wrong with that so for example if it was taken when you were there it would be like you maybe you by yourself or maybe you with a buddy or you with the class and someone else would be taking the picture mm-hmm. of you or you in your class mm-hmm. in front of these buildings like is that inherently wrong do you think that's inherently disrespectful to the grounds well, I, to me, it's all context. I mean, I can't, right. I can't say yes or no uh, uh, definitively on that. I, I would say, you know, for me at the time, taking a picture, there's nothing I'd want to take a picture of. Right. You know, like, here I am. and I'll, Okay. Like, to me, that was just something to go experience and then leave there. Right. Like, it's... I can remember it. I remember walking around and I just remember soaking all in and reading every placard they had up and Mm -hmm. and visiting every hall you know and every freestanding Mm -hmm. building um none of that made me think like this must be documented Mm -hmm. or my time here must be documented i i I don't see the purpose of Mm -hmm. what would be the purpose of that well i mean i guess it depends on who you ask if you're asking me I'm not really sure. <laughs> exactly. And, and, but, and that's why and I never had to confront that question. Yeah, exactly. But that that's that's kind of my point though, too, is like I mean, this is this is I'm I'm not I'm not going to outright defend what, what this girl did. I don't I don't think it deserves the attention she has gotten or the outrage it has drummed up, but well, well, look. Wouldn't you say too, though? Like by posting a pub uh, picture like that publicly, she's kind of inviting. Oh, it. Like, of course. Like you, you can't, you can't then, you know, gauge a response to something. You can't put something on the public and be like, whether they respond overly well or bad to it, be like, that's not what I wanted. It's like, well, then why'd you put it out there in the public? Right. Well, and this is kind of something I want to talk about too. So I'll get to that. First of all, I would say any person who would have attacked this girl online or whatever would have been uh, better spending their time doing yes. something else. Yes, 100%. Also, something I wanted to say is that at this point in social media, all at this point, all of social media is about customization. You can friend somebody on Facebook and choose to not see any of their posts but remain their friend. You can friend somebody on Facebook and choose to only see a certain number of their posts. Mm-hmm. You can follow somebody on Twitter and then mute them so you don't see any of their posts. So in a in a time where all of social media is about customization, why are you following someone who would go to Auschwitz wearing the clothes she was wearing, wearing earbuds while she's on a concentration camp, and then taking a picture of herself and captioning it selfie at a concentration camp like like if that upsets you you shouldn't be following that person right mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, it just doesn't like at this point like like i i'm very selective like like 
I'm I'm 99% sure nobody I follow would do anything like that. And if they did, that would be an indi- indicator to me. Like, I don't care what this person has to say. I'm not going to follow this person anymore. Right. Now, that's not to justify what she did. I'm just saying, like, I don't understand. I don't. I just don't see the point in getting upset at it, and I don't see the point in then turning into this big thing of like, look what this girl just posted on Twitter. And and, Did, and didn't she also do a follow up? I I saw in one of the articles where it's like, she was like 150 thousand tweets or whatever. She's like turned up. Or oh, did she? Yeah. No. All I saw she was, was her say she was saying stuff like, "Please stop retweeting and favoriting and replying to my." selfie right i think originally it was like she was all excited the other thing so so looking at it the thing that just looking at the post right the picture and the caption what i felt like people were getting really outraged about was the caption right because the caption is really is what really seems inappropriate like i feel like if you just first of all this is something that all the articles have pointed out about it there are thousands of <laughs> selfies that teenagers have taken at Auschwitz, right? I mean, literally thousands bef- before this girl has done. Maybe not thousands, maybe, <laughs> but there are a lot. She's certainly not the first one. Right. But then when you have the caption, the caption being word for word, selfie at Auschwitz concentration camp ended with a smiling emoji that's blushing. It's kind of like that seems almost comical right it seems it's almost, tone deaf yeah it like but i mean it, it goes beyond tone deaf it right. just is almost like it's like the definition of ignorance like how can you like like i can't even begin to understand where that line of thought would come from mm-hmm. i understand taking the picture more than i understand ta- posting that caption to it you know right. what i mean right so i feel like that's what people are getting upset about and and selfie itself has become kind of a word to mean frivolousness, right? Like at this point, a lot of people are like, you know what I mean? Like stuck in traffic selfie, <laughs> right? Right. Like it's raining outside. Like it, it's used as a term of, of, of frivolousness, I feel like. Right. And so when you, when you attach it to something as significant as a concentration camp, people get upset. Right. Understandably. And again, I'm not trying to defend that. I'm just I'm sort of trying to understand why it happened, maybe. So to speak a, a little bit to what we talked about before, where why does she, why would she take it? You know, a lot of sociolo- sociologists have answered this sort of, I feel like millennial-based question of why are we taking so many selfies or why are a group of people taking certain so many selfies? By saying it's a matter of uh, self-documentation, right. instead of se- it's not self-glorification so much it is self-documentation. I was here. This is who I was that day. That happened is what I believe they said in the. I, I think that's from the Washington Post article. And I wonder how does that register uh, with you? You know, to me, that's that's putting thought to something that may not, it, it may be there in the subtext. And I guess that there is something about they are wanting to document their experience and just say like, I was here. This is the way that I validate my experience that mm-hmm. I'm having here. 
but you you can't divorce that from the context of where she is. You know, yeah. you, you you can't sit there and say, well, this is the reason why it is okay. And I don't think that's what you're arguing. You're not saying like it's okay. Right. You're just trying to understand why it happened. Right. You know, and so to me, I would say that's a that's a weak excuse that doesn't move us any further along in the conversation other than to identify, yeah, is that a piece of it? Sure. But then take that step further, apply that to this girl now. What does that say about right. her? Does that outweigh the other aspects of the yeah. whatever you're talking about? Right. And to me, it doesn't. It's like, okay, I can still identify that as being a reality and still say, there's no way on hell or earth she should have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... The, I think the la- the and the last thing I have to say about it, and it's a little heavy handed, but I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> and I'm cer- on and us. I'm certainly again, I am not saying that this excuses the action. Uh, but it is also something that applies to the the funeral the selfies at funerals craze from a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's that people grieve differently, right? And I'm not saying that this is her form of grieving. But what I am saying... (laughs) What I'm saying is... You know, my dad died six years ago. A little over six years ago. When I was 25 years old. And I... at, At this point in my life, I understand it to be a luxury. At the time, I didn't. But... I had the luxury of living almost completely by myself when that happened. I lived like literally in the middle of the desert. Right. I lived thousands of miles away from anybody I grew up with. And I lived there for a year. And it was, it was, it was (laughs) difficult. It was a difficult year, but it was a weird year. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it does weird things to you, you know? And I can only imagine you know, and I and I wasn't terribly close with my dad, right? And it hit me really hard. I couldn't imagine how that's going to affect someone 17 or 18 years old who is, by her own, you know, acclaim, very close to her father. So that's, I think that's why I hesitate to just sort of go all in on the girl and be like, this is completely... Um, distasteful, yeah, abhorrent. Like, which a a strong part of me wants to. A strong part of me thinks like this is completely unjustifiable, and I think there's a strong argument for it being unjustifiable. But at the same time, like, I feel like something that we've that we've have pushed by the wayside in the culture, maybe not in the culture, but it's but definitely on the internet is giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or sort of allowing them some room to breathe. Like, like is is this thing terrible? Yes. But what is this thing? Ultimately, it's a, a picture that this girl took of herself at a concentration camp. It's not that... I, I don't think it's a big enough deal that the Washington Post should be writing articles about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm talking more almost now to the people who reacted to this girl, more than I'm talking... Right. To or about the girl. Yeah. She's 
she's secondary because like you said, she's a teenager. She doesn't know what she's doing. You know, there's no way that she should have done that. But it's also about this documentation age where they're going to document their experiences. Yeah, good and bad. You know, I'm glad I wasn't able to document myself. Look, I didn't grow up in that age. There are pictures that I regret that they're out there. And that's what I was going to say about like when we were in college, right? Yes. The only thing we ever wanted to do in college was get somehow get a hold of a camera or a video camera or something so we could and it wasn't so we could just take pictures of ourselves right we wanted to do things with them right at the same time like i feel like that's kind of a oddly natural desire right to like to document where you are and what you're doing right so so i'm not saying that i think nothing that she did should result in you going up to her as stranger online or anywhere yeah. else being like, you're an idiot or whatever, you know, I think you're an idiot for doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the same time, I think that there's something to be said with this about, you know, is this a trend to ask ourselves that to evaluate what is the role of the selfie in this generation, mm-hmm. but also a chance to address the culture at large to just say, and maybe this should be done in like large media organizations or wherever to say like, this is not right. You know, like if this gets up there, I think it's worth at least writing an article about like if I was a professional journalist or something, I'd maybe just say, you know, I'm not speaking to her directly. I'm just saying like an opinion piece, right? An opinion piece, like this activity of documenting yourself in places like this and the way that you are doing it is disrespectful yeah. and it's ignorant yeah you know and i agree and to even make a broader point of like earbuds in take them out yeah like have a moment of respect of quiet yeah. you know in this place if nowhere else than than in this place yeah. you know so i think that that's okay and mm-hmm. i think i think sometimes the culture needs to be brought to task and it kind of goes back to what we we're saying before but about technology progressing us faster towards places where maybe we don't even want to go, but we don't know because mm-hmm. we're too busy like shoving the earbuds in our ears and yeah. and downloading more podcasts and yeah. and listening to more things and and we're not being reflective. But um, but yeah, I guess that's where I want to end it. It's just like if you are, you know, seeing people like this or Rebecca Black's Friday or whatever, and it's causing you to reach out in anger or vitriol to people like calm down you know like there are other things that you could be putting your time and energy towards they're they're much more substantial than this little girl yeah what's the saying be be the change right man in the mirror man right yeah man in the mirror yeah that's it yeah so that's the that's the girl at auschwitz Uh, We will take our last break and we will come back with recommendations. Thank you.
music you just listened to is from a group called Moon Hooch. And they are two saxophonists and a drummer. With crazy eyes. Yeah, and the drummer's facial expressions when he drums, it, he's out there, man. Like, he's he going for it. He gets it done, though, Yeah, man. absolutely. But uh, I was listening to All Songs Considered mm-hmm. maybe like a month ago, six weeks ago. And they started, uh, they were talking about a group called Moon Hooch. And then they played the music. And I, and I heard the recording. And I was just like, this is so like weird, right? Like it just is absolutely completely different just from even a fundamental standard uh, on what is going on in, you know, popular music, independent music, you know, just because they're not using any of the instruments that other bands are using. Right. And after I listened to it the first time I did, it's not that I didn't like it, but I just was like, it was weird enough that I wanted to know more right away, right? So I started watching all their performance videos on YouTube to the point of where I became almost like with Future Islands, like oddly fascinated with them. And so like on a pretty pretty regular basis, I'm checking for new videos. Um, except I would say this is more of a positive fascination with Moon Hooch than right. with Future Islands. A dark, dark <laughs> obsession. Um, so anyways, their their Tiny Desk concert came out, and I thought it was great, and I've watched it five or six times probably. I recommended it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think? I watched it twice. Yeah. Um, and I could easily watch it again. I think, you know, when you mentioned Moon Hooch, I immediately got into my mind like... <laughs> Somebody's blowing on a jug. Somebody's like <laughs> with a washboard or something, you right. know. And so I, I wasn't really excited about it. But I remember going home. I think I even think that night or pretty soon I was like, all right, let's get this moon hooch going. Let's just <laughs> yeah. get a little taste. And I watched it. I immediately was like, you know, to my wife, I'm like, at least you need to hear this, you know. And she listened to it and she, she liked it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I found it really kind of hypnotic and yeah right exactly yes and then also uh, my my wife and i had the same reaction <clears throat> i don't know if you had this after the, i watched it the first time mm-hmm. my initial reaction was like good for you guys absolutely like, exactly That's good exactly for you exactly right yeah yeah i was proud of them yes you know that they are doing their thing right the way they want to do it and doing a really great job and it was a weird, strange feeling of, right. of pride. <laughs> yeah. You right. Know? I felt that same way. And then like, and then I was kind of done with it. And then like a couple of days later, I was like, I'm going to watch that again. Yes. <laughs> and I did. And then I did again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely like a, it's like a, yeah, it, that's exactly right. Good for you guys. Like you're doing something completely different. Uh-huh. That's completely your own and you're owning up to it. And there's no pretension to it. There's no like performance to it in the mm-hmm. sense of like. Like they're doing something they feel like they should, like it feels completely organic. Yeah. It just feels like what these guys do. And yes. it's like, it's so weirdly good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh. And, and, but, but I think, it, I think it's right. You're, you're seeing something that's born out of a deep kind of love or desire. You know, I read the little NPR article and they were like, they all went to school for music. Yeah. They they met there. Yeah, like, they're 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 very obviously music nerds. Exactly, right? like band geeks. Exactly. Yeah. They know what they're doing, and 
it's it's not born out of like uh and and this to me and i won't get off on a tangent but i just want to touch on this like uh-huh. this is where i get frustrated when people say like you know put the label of being a snob or whatever when you when you you know don't like the america's got talent singers mm-hmm. or you don't like the american idol singers or whatever you're, you're just like oh, i'm not into that mm-hmm. and there's really when people are excited about like the new season of a show like that mm-hmm. there's no good way to like gracefully bow out of it without <laughs> seeming like right yeah, oh there's yeah. keith yeah, yeah. yeah too good right. for no right like it's the same thing like you can't mention at this point you can't mention that you also read the book without being labeled like as a jerk that reads the book first. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and so on this, I feel like there's a mercenary aspect to music when you go look at a show of like American Idol. And I don't care how talented the person is, there is this idea of like, I'm doing this on some level to get famous. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And this kind of pride of like, I have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And Moon Hooch, I feel like, they could be doing a lot of stuff with their music, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge and careers, but they want to make this strange hybrid of hip hop and jazz mm-hmm. and whatever and pull it off and make it great. And they they perform. You can tell they are performing at 100 percent. They're giving it everything that they have. Yeah. And at the end of three songs, like they're like kind of gasping for breath, yeah. like <laughs> they they've written three songs and they're like. Okay, we need yeah. to, you know, sit down for a second. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. love I love that. Well, good. I'm glad you liked it. So check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I'll link to it in the um in the show notes. Right. But it's a it's a definitely something. I mean, and you know, it's on YouTube. It's free. We we, we have not you 12 minutes. We have not done this and we maybe not don't even want to intro it, but last week we tried to introduce our rating system. So mm-hmm. Really quickly, sure. What would you say for Fermi Paradox and uh, Moon Hooch? I honestly don't remember what the rating system what, what, is. Wasn't ours like immediately go tell somebody oh, or like right. a party? Yeah, or, like yeah, yeah. This is yeah. an immediate, absolutely. Right now, yeah. Well, pull it up. You know, even if you're driving, get into an accident. <laughs> if you're getting an accident to watch Moon Hooch, it's worth it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I'd go that far. Fender bender. I'm not talking a serious <laughs> accident. Yeah. Lightly run into a tree. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you have a recommendation? Sure. I'm going to be honest. Uh, this this was kind of a, a piecemeal one. Sure. Um, thinking about it really quickly. And I was going to recommend a whole television season to you. Um, but because you have two daughters. What's the television season? Well, I, I I may want to hang on to this, but um, it's Terriers mm-hmm. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people like that show. Exactly. I I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen the first like three episodes. Mm-hmm. I think it's got some really well, good you things. Can't recommend it. any more than the first three episodes. Though. Well, exactly. Oh. So so I'm I'm pulling back on okay. Terriers. I see. I have seen these three, so I'm recommending three episodes from three different shows to you okay. that you have to watch. All right. They're all animated. Okay. And it's kind of to get a sense of where animation is today, where Mm. it came from. And these are three episodes that I really like. Okay. Okay. First one, uh, Futurama. All All these are on Netflix. All right. Okay. Futurama season three. 
the final episode. It's called Time Keeps on Slipping. Okay. It involves the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> which is one reason why Does I included it, it for you. Steve Miller? Um, Time Keeps on Slipping? Yeah, that's a good... I'm, try, I, I'm literally trying to remember. It has to. Yeah. I, can, I, can, I can't remember, but I remember the Harlem Globetrotters. All right. And honestly, this is the one that I remember the fuzziest, mm-hmm. but you should like it. All right. Um, next one, Bob's Burgers. All right. Season one, episode called Art Crawl. And finally, Adventure Time. Season two, an episode called Susan Strong. And I identified that episode as kind of a turning point in the mm-hmm. in the whole series. I've watched you, half of the first season. Okay, about. see, I, I figured you had not gotten to, episode, to season two yet. Mm-hmm. So... And I tried to pick something that, you know, Adventure Time, you can kind of hop around. At some points, mm-hmm. it does help to be chronologic. But uh, I think Susan Strong, you could mm-hmm. throw it on and be good. But those three are my recommendation. All right. Well, that does it. Um, if uh, if uh, you want any more information about the show, you can find it in Tough the luck. description oh. or the show notes. Uh, you know, all the links for most of the stuff we talked about will be in there, including links to the music, which is provided by Johnny Hawaii and uh, Miss Emma, because I decided to change things a little bit. Oh. And uh, Moon Hooch, right? That's the music that was playing before our Moon Hooch recommendation. And uh, anything else you can find in the show notes, or you can just go to brownbluewhite.com. It's all right there. Uh, until next time that's all we've got so uh, you can follow us on Twitter Uh, my name or my name my username or my handle is at blizzard with nine z's Keith is on Twitter at things come right and I'm going to put out a call a request for reviews ratings sure Justin's been doing it before and we haven't gotten a great response on this podcast, so <laughs> I'm going to blame him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the personal call for, uh, yeah, send us an email, critique us. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, we've been doing we've been doing well with the Leftovers podcast, which is just kind of like, you know, don't tell them. It's just kind of like a cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. It's, yes. kind, it's kind of true. Well, it, you know what? It would be true if the Leftovers was like, actually good or <laughs> like a lot of people were watching it but uh instead it looks like we may have been on the wrong horse <laughs> um yeah so uh well i i don't I, we don't know when we'll record again whenever we get the hanger i guess yeah uh but until but, then but well i guess we, we should say between now and, and maybe the next time we, we want to record a movie coherence should be out, right that's coming out early august okay so i think that was one movie that both of us had okay on our on our yeah. radar so if you can see coherence um i think that's 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 my recommendation yeah so maybe yeah sure it's a date done. done all right we'll see you next time